The healthcare debate comes to Central Ohio, a surprise clemency ruling, and the problems of using vices to balance the budget. These topics and more this week on Columbus on the Record. From the Battelle studio at WOSU at COSI, this is Columbus on the Record, WOSU-TV's weekly analysis of the top stories affecting Central Ohio. Joining Mike Thompson this week, Joe Ingalls, Statehouse reporter for Ohio Public Radio. Daryl Rowland, Public Affairs Editor for the Columbus Dispatch. Bob Clegg, Republican Consultant. And Sam Gresham of Common Cause Ohio. Welcome to Columbus on the Record. Columbus hosted one of those health care reform town meetings this week, and it was relatively civil. U.S. Senator Sherrod Brown held the event at OSU. There was some debate back and forth between the senator and audience members. Some questions were pointed, voices were raised, but there was no real screaming, no fist fights. No one had to be removed from the audience. Bob Clegg, why can't they all be like that? <laughs> well, a, a lot of them were like that. Um, I think we're, we're getting a lot of coverage of the ones that weren't like that, and I'm not saying those are, are necessarily in the majority, but... I mean, I think people, the common everyday person has found their voice. And I think this is something that isn't just about health care, I think. I think this started back in January and February with the stimulus bill, where a lot of people didn't like the way that was constructed in Congress with a lot of pork attached, et cetera, et cetera. And then we move on to the bailouts of the banks, the investment firms. Then we move on to the bailout of Chrysler and GM. And I think people have just hit that point where they're saying enough is enough. And that's what I think we're seeing now. I don't, I don't agree with that. I, I, I'm surprised. This would be for the people rather than others for the bank and the cars. This is for me now. I, 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 I think there are three people who come to those meetings, people who fall into a trap and didn't know it was going to be that wild, people who come there with sincere gripes, and also people who come there to orchestrate. Now, I, I think they're making a calculated mistake, and it's not about a Barack Obama. It's about Rahm Emanuel. Who's making the mistake? Those who are doing this. The opponents to health care yeah. reform. And it's about Rahm Emanuel. Rahm Emanuel is a very mean person. White House Chief of Staff. Uh, be clear about this. And I, I think they're miscalculating. Uh, I don't know what happened to Glenn Beck and his money recently when people started walking, but that's a fingerprint of Ron Emanuel. I think this thing is going to boomerang on them. They're going to come back, they're going to hunker down, and they're going to pass this thing simply because of the behavior that has been manifested when they're at home. You know, one of the things I noticed when I covered that town hall meeting the other day is um, there wasn't a whole lot of substance, and I, that's not to be rude or mean to anyone, but there were a lot of people with a lot of misconceptions. People were out there talking about Canada-style health insurance, which I, I think most people who've looked at the bill know that that is not what we are looking at in this bill. Um, and there Which was bill, though? Well, I mean, there's a the couple, problem. but we none of them are Canada-style. But yeah. none of them have yeah. Canada-style but, but health of, insurance. But, but we don't know because there is no bill that the president will say, this is my plan for health care reform. And, and that's, that's a big that's, problem that we have. He wants people to sign on to nothing, and we can't have that. Yeah, but look, when Clinton signed on to something, what happened? Well... 
I mean, sure, they picked that apart, but, I mean, they're picking apart something that isn't there, so it's not going to help them but, not to have a bill. What are the Republicans going to put forward? They've put forward uh, many different things, but the problem is you don't know about it because they won't even let, the Democrats won't even let that out. And that's the other problem they had. And they started it with the stimulus bill. Nancy Pelosi basically said to the Republicans, we won, you lost, you're going to have to take it the way we're doing it. And they don't want them in the process. Now, the problem they're getting into is they now own it all. They own the stimulus bill, and if they don't watch what they're doing, they're going to own the whole health care thing, too. And what they're finding out is they have a men too many uh, uh, representatives, and we have prime examples here in Ohio, like uh, uh, Steve Driehaus, Mary Jo Kilroy, Zach Space, and John Bocieri, that are all sitting in Republican seats that have to run next year. And I don't think Nancy Pelosi's done a very good job of protecting those people for that election. Daryl, Mary Jo Kilroy, does she she is vulnerable no matter what because she won by such a small amount in 2008. Absolutely, and that's when you, you come after a, an incumbent in, in their first attempt at re-election. Is she better if health care reform passes or if it, if it sort of dies on the vine? I, I think the super seeding all of this is going to be how the economy is next year, quite frankly. Yeah. That's going to be the trump card that everyone plays. Um, Congresswoman Kilroy is, has made no bones about it. She supports health care reform. She has expressed concerns about cost. She's a very strong advocate of what's called the public option, having government, a government option where people can plug into that, use that as competition. She's pretty strong on that. That's one of the more controversial aspects. So we'll see how that plays in her district. How about these, uh, getting back to the town meeting and the, and the, the boisterous crowds that have appeared, <clears throat> Pat Tiberi and Mary Jo Kilroy have had virtual town meetings where they, they do it on the computer screen and they take phone calls. What do you make of that? Is that a great way to get feedback from your constituents? Zach Space says he had, what, 30,000 30, 30, 30, people, people yeah, on I his? I, I, I think it sends a message. I don't know if it's a positive message. Uh, maybe you can counter what I can get more people involved. Maybe I can get more constructive uh, conversation. Um, but it seems like you're hiding. That, that's just my observation. You can screen the calls. Well, and they do. Uh, but the weird thing is, you know, members of Congress, the Senate have come, this is the traditional time when they come back from Washington Showtime. and go out and hold these things, in, in, you know, in not necessarily town halls, but hotel ballrooms or school gymnasiums. They've had trouble getting people to attend. We used to assign, bring people back from Washington Bureau to go around the districts. It wasn't worthwhile because you just have a handful of people. So they find an alternative where they at least claim they're reaching more people. Now people want them out there where they can <laughs> get in their face and scream at them. It's, it's kind of weird. All right. Let's get to our next topic. And a surprise move, move this week. Governor Strickland denied clemency to Jason Getze for his role in a 1995 murder. Strickland's decision rejects the parole board's recommendation that Getze's death sentence be commuted. The sticking point in this case is that Getze's accomplice in the murder, the person who masterminded the killings, got 20 years to life. Joe Ingalls Getze, though, was the man who shot and fatally shot the victim and wounded her son. That had to have played in Governor Strickland's decision. There's no doubt about that. I mean, uh, Jason Getze has admitted it. Uh, the evidence showed that he was the person responsible for actually committing the crime. His contention is that he was afraid of the mastermind, the guy, John Santine, the guy who got 20 years to life. And he said, because I was young and I was afraid, uh, therefore I was easily manipulated. I didn't realize what I was doing. I, was, I just shot her because she was an innocent bystander. 
Um, but I think one of the things that was really, if you look at the record uh, carefully, one of the things that stands out is that this is not what you would think of as a murder for hire crime. Generally, that's a, you know, a kind of a, I, I hate to say clean crime, but it's a, it's a crime where you go in, you shoot someone, they're dead, and you're gone. This was a very heinous crime. Uh, the record would, would reflect uh, a lot of a lot of blood, a lot of different things that happened there, and you can't ignore that. So for the jury looking at that, um, that played against him. And for Governor, I'm sure Governor Strickland, when he was looking at it, I'm sure that had to play in his mind as well. What affected the parole board that they would support his uh, clemency? Well, the thing was that uh, the guy who, who masterminded it only got 20 years to life. And I think the parole board, when they look at Jason Getze, who was young, he was 19 when he committed this crime, um, he had a troubled childhood, he had all the, the typical things that we see in most of the death row inmates, quite frankly. Um, they, they looked at him and they thought, you know, this other guy, if, if it wasn't for this John Santine guy, this would never have happened. And that's where the parole board uh, kind of came in at a five to two margin and said, we think that he deserves clemency. I would just look at it in the political environment that we're working in right now. If I was the governor, I would say, don't take a chance. You know, don't get embroiled in anything that can be dragged into next year's election. And I would put thumbs down, too. You, when, he, when Ted Strickland first came into office, all the people were watching how he would handle these death cases. He, former minister, former prison psychologist. This is one where he really came down with what the pro-death penalty folks would have wanted him to come down on. Oh, exactly. sure. The, the county prosecutors were, you know, pretty adamant on this, Democrats and Republicans, including Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. They were worried about setting a precedent here where there are multiple defendants. One gets slammed a little bit harder than another one. Don't set a precedent here for letting people off. But, you know, Joe knows this case probably better than anybody. She had the face-to-face interview with Mr. Getze in, in prison. Well, so. One of the things that really kind of uh, strikes me about all of this is that Governor Strickland, at least on this issue, has shown a lot of independence. He has not done what was expected. Uh, for example, this is not the first time he's gone against the parole board's recommendation. You might remember John Spurko. The parole board actually recommended against clemency. Governor Strickland looked at all of the evidence and he said, you know what, I have doubts. Mm -hmm. I want to grant him clemency. So, you know, this is the second time that he's going against the recommendation of the parole board. Bob, do you think the 2010 election played into this role, or did he just look at the facts of this case? Um, I'm sure it did. I'm sure the victim's family statements probably played a major part in they that. They were and against clemency. Yeah, were against clemency, and I think that's all the kinds of things that a governor has to put together when they're making these kinds of that's decisions. a heck of a thing to say, though. Is I, I'm not saying it, it's untrue, but yeah. I know Sam and Bob, you both said it now, that <laughs> election considerations <laughs> plays into a life or whether a guy lives or dies. I hate to say it. But, I mean, I thought I was cynical. Well, on the other hand, now, the, the governor has endorsed DNA testing for inmates, expanded DNA testing, which could exonerate more folks in prison. That shows the other side of the coin, that he's more in favor of the on the left-hand side of that issue. Or if you look at the dispatch series, it could also keep people yeah. who are in prison behind bars. Mm -hmm. It makes it, un, you know, a very certain thing that they belong there. It's the holy grail nowadays, <laughs> isn't the DNA? Why is the governor in support of this? Because of the doubt issues and because of the series that dispatch has shown that there are some possible innocent people in jail? I think it's that, Mike, and I think also, you know, it's been a year since Robert McClendon uh, was been freed. 
there are all these cases still out there. The DNA is there, but for some reason the tests have not been done in a year. So we have questions have been raised. Why not do the tests? They've offered the services of, of BCI. Doesn't everyone involved want to know? Police, prosecutors, victims, families, if that is really the guilty person sitting behind bars or not? And if not, that means the, the guilty person is maybe out on the street? One more topic in the courts and the justice system is the Darius Lewis case. Right. He was charged with murdering his brother Dennis, spent 18 months in jail, went through one trial, mistrial was declared, prosecutors tested the bloody palm print, wasn't bloody at all, charges dropped, he's freed. He's demanding an apology. Should he get one? I spent 18 months in jail. I'm sorry. What, what perplexes me about that is all this time, nobody ever thought to look at that to say that's not blood? How in the procedures, inside the laboratory, there's no checklist for you to do that? Why didn't the prosecutor ask, is that blood? And, and, and I said, it says things about two places. It says things about the prosecutor's office, but it also says something about that lab. What is the checklist process where whether somebody asks you or not, why don't you, as a routine, check that stuff to make sure? One of the concerns was that testing the print would destroy the print because if, if you, the process of testing it would destroy it in some ways. The defense counters and the, the photograph su sufficed, you wouldn't really destroy it. But the, you know, the defense attorneys, they, <laughs> you know, they were kind of caught because they asked for the testing of this print, but they if it had come back blood, they would have nailed it. They were, they they were very nailed. unsure about whether they even wanted it tested. Yeah. It was the defendant himself yeah. who insisted that that be tested because yeah. he knew he wasn't guilty. Yeah. So, I mean, that way I thought was the interesting aspect. Of it. But, you know, a family uh, of, a, of someone who is uh, wrongly accused of something, uh, and it appears that that's, that's what's happening in this case, the family shouldn't have to bear the burden of that, you right. know? And, and I think that's where it comes in. If the um, person who's being wrongly accused says, I'm not guilty and I want that tested, uh, shouldn't, you know, maybe the state consider doing that? Just for the very reason that Daryl articulated, there's so no we justice. all know. There's only laws. There's no justice. Getting back to the apology, Ron O'Brien said he apologized for the time spent in confinement and the charges were dropped. That's like me apologizing to my mom for gravity taking the vase and smashing <laughs> it on the floor. He didn't apologize for dropping the vase. He didn't apologize for putting him there. Well, Can we expect to see that? That's, I mean, again, I'll put my cynical hat back on <laughs> since Sam, and, you know, <laughs> Sam and, and Bob are shaming me into it. You don't want uh, whatever he says to, you know, to be the first line in the, the, the ine inevitable lawsuit. Yeah. So, uh, that's, and that's a heck of a, uh, a juncture we're at in our society. You can't even say you're sorry because that cannon will be used against that's you. That's true. It will. Should prosecutors apologize? I mean, he, and you could say here the system worked. It took 18 months, and that's 18 months he's not going to get back, but he was exonerated. Yeah, Should but he's not exonerated. It will always be there for the rest of his life. Unless somebody else is charged in. Yeah. No, it will always be there, and yeah. people will always have questions in their mind whether he really did it or not, or if this is the flu. So this is, that doesn't go away for him. Uh, I don't know how you compromise or how you compensate for somebody for what happened to him. I don't, I don't think sorry is good enough. I really don't. I mean, he, he is marked for the rest of his life. As much as we may want to say he was exonerated, the rest of the world doesn't see it like that necessarily. 
Okay, our next topic, a judge in Franklin County ruled this week that money received in the tobacco settlement must be used for anti-smoking programs. The problem with Judge David Feist's ruling is that state lawmakers were counting on that money, $250 million of that money, to help balance the state's budget. The state has quickly appealed the ruling. Darrell, the state's been using $10 billion in tobacco money, however it wanted, for a long time. Why is this coming to a head now? Right. Well, this was actually a subset of that. No one, you know, in the right mind thought back in the 90s when we had the National Tobacco Settlement, Ohio gets its big bucks chair, that all oh, that's going to tobacco, anti-smoking, uh, smoking cessation programs, what have you. But a little chunk of that was set aside in a foundation uh, in what the judge found was an irrevocable trust to be used for those purposes. Now they have spent down the rest of that money. We have a lot of new school buildings in Ohio for one you know, due to that tobacco settlement. But now we get down to that money, and of course, guess what? The, uh, the, o ten, or the 10, 11 budget is very tight, so we're looking at any pile of money. So we're gonna grab that, which we've already grabbed for another purpose, but we don't want for that purpose, we want for this purpose now. <laughs> the judge had earlier signaled that, you know, he wasn't gonna go along with this, and, and indeed his final ruling uh, says you can't. But, but the, you know, the bigger problem, Mike, is uh, the Strick administration is, is counting on drawing to an inside straight here because they've bet on about three or four of these things where the money is under legal challenge or soon will be, and they've betted on winning them all. They, not just the Strick administration, the legislature too. It's, it's the legislature's budget as well. Uh, the slots, the gambling, mm -hmm. $900 million up in the air. If they lose that, there's almost a billion dollars. The commercial activities tax challenge, which almost no one has heard about, very esoteric, but the bottom line is they lose, that's over $350 million in one-time money, almost $200 million per year after that, that they would lose, that they are counting on, that's built into this current budget. Shouldn't the state spend, if it's in a pinch, the state has been spending money on Medicaid costs for smoking-related illnesses for decades. Do they have a justification for saying, you know, times are tough, we need this money for the next couple of years? I think the law that they applied for was some aspect of the settlement that gives them the options on how to use that money. Now, whether the courts will support that in the long term. But I, what I think is much more fundamental, uh, this b budget is built on a, a house of cards. I mean, not only do you have what you just described, but you have the stimulus money, too. What does that say about the next budgeting session? Uh, what will happen, where are the resources coming from, what, I believe it's going to, you thought this was a bad budgeting process? Wait till we get to that next one. It sets up all sorts of problems. I don't even think we have to wait to the next one because I think the budget within this current fiscal year or, or that we're in is going to be awful and I think June of next year, when right in the middle of the campaign, he's going to look at a gaping hole that somehow is going to have to be filled. And I don't know if it's, uh, how that's going to be done, especially in the middle of a campaign. I think that's the big problem that the governor and the legislature is going to be facing next year. Because the revenue projections are not. Oh yeah, have. everything's all the projections have been off for how long? How many? How many months? Well, you look at what we just well, also found out this week: the uh, the Kino revenue. Let's get to that. Yeah. From one <laughs> from one vice to another, from smoking to gambling. This week's headlines: the state's largest police union now favors casinos. Racetracks are scrambling to come up with $13 million each to begin the process of getting slot machines. And, as Daryl mentioned, remember that $73 million Kino was supposed to bring in? Well, it brought in about $30 million. 
Sam Gresham, Maxwell Smart would say they missed it by that much. Just a tad. <laughs> but it's, again, I refer to House of Cards. When, you, when you're building a budget on syntax, it, it is not a budget that's going to work very much. And, and it's kind of sad that we've re resorted to doing that. Now, I, I'll give by way of example. We had one um, elected official who stood up and said, we need more taxes. And he stuck his head in the barrel of the gun and went out there and campaigned and passed it. Michael Coleman. That's Michael Coleman. Now, this, this legislator and this governor is going to have to say we're going to have to cut back on that 21% um, tax uh, break we gave, and we're going to have to raise some taxes, whether it's the holy grail or not. Eventually, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to get there. Let's get back to the keynote. Why was it off by so much? Was it the economy? We heard complaints about lack of marketing on the part of the lottery to get the word out about this game. Why were they so off? It's Maybe called the it economy. I, I think they also had problems with implementation too, and at the very beginning, and and I think it's yeah. It's but we're in a recession. Time. Yeah. Right. Right. People gamble in a recession. Though. Yeah, but they don't gamble at the rates that they were projecting that they were going to gamble on. Yeah. This was less than half, though, and that's and and you're right about the budget projections. I mean that that's what's made a lot of observers very nervous as well. Um, you know, this was missed by half. Uh, you know, just last December, we had a budget estimate for that year's budget. Well, that was off over $3 billion within six months. Mm -hmm. Now, so far, so good in this current two-year budget period. The first month, they were actually a little bit low. So one down, 23 to go. The slots are supposed to bring in, the slots at the racetracks are supposed to bring in $900 million. Are they going to only bring in $450 million? Are you going to put on that cynical hat again? <laughs> 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 well, who knows? And that, this, these are all interlocking problems because a lot of that's going to depend on whether casinos pass or fail, I think. Because right. a lot of people, if they can go to a, you know, it's going to take a while to build them, but if they can go to a shiny new casino in a downtown, but, but isn't that sad? that's going to be more attractive. Our, the whole state government mm -hmm. benefits to a citizen is predicated upon gambling? Getting, do you think sm the smoking ban played a role in the in the in the Kino shortfall. Well, back at, I used to live in Massachusetts and they had Kino parlors in convenience stores of all places. They would move the bread racks out of the way. They set up casino betting, I mean, Kino betting tables. And it, but every one of those guys who was playing was smoking. So they killed themselves and gambled at the same time? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Less money to get where you're going, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, but the Kino came in right as the smoking ban came in and well, I think you can I smoke think at home and bet online. Yeah, I think the bar owners thought of Kino as a antidote to the smoking ban, right. and and they were expecting the Kino to bring pe more people in. Um, however, I think there was you know other issues there, and I don't think it ever worked out quite the way they thought it was going to work out. You ever go to a bingo hall? There's a lot of smoke in a bingo hall. Not and anymore in, in Ohio. Not anymore. It used <laughs> to be anyway. The Police officers, the Fraternal Order of Police, endorsing casinos. They've either stayed out of these elections in the past or they've opposed them. Why are they it's suddenly supporting support them? It's about jobs. It's it about survival. I'm sorry. It's about, it's about being able to provide services, right. being able to stay with your jobs. Right. $13 million. I'll put the cynical hat on. $13 million <laughs> in police training money that these casinos are going to give? Projected. Projected. <laughs> I, I read a report in preparation. Uh, gambling's down everywhere. Vegas is hurting right now. But the, part, of the, part of the deal with the casinos is $13 million a year would go to police training programs. Mm. That had to be a... I mean, a big a reason for them to support it. Yeah. Well, it's just sad. Ladies and gentlemen, we, we're going to have to raise taxes. And I know some of the, the rules are in a recession. You don't do that. Mm -hmm. But eventually, we're going to have to get to it.
What, how does this casino, it's going to be on the ballot, it's getting support from folks that didn't get support from before. How does this affect these racinos, or these racetrack owners who are looking at having to come up with $13 million in the next month? And some of them are even the same. Yeah. yeah. Trusted yeah. both in both parts. Well, right, yeah. Which so would be interesting to see if that one owner who also owns the racetrack up in Toledo is actually going to try to put the money down to put the slots right. at the racetrack in That's Toledo. a real, talk about hedging your bets. He's got, <laughs> he's got both sides covered. Yeah. Okay, but supposing the casino proposal fails. I think it has a 50-50 proposition mm. of failing. What happens to the state budget then? Well, not, nothing. They're, they're not building on those. They're not casinos. counting on casino money, but it's the ancillary effect on the tracks and slots. I know the cynics would say that's good news for the state because <laughs> now our plan, to, you know, can ride to the fore and, you know, all that money won't be gone to the other states. You, you've heard that probably a time oh, yeah. or two. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's time now for our weekly off-the-record comments from our panel. Final thoughts? or predictions for the weeks ahead. Joe Ingalls, you're up first. One of the things that I think we're seeing are these uh, town hall meetings, and they're very contentious, as you pointed out. But I think in the end, when the lawmakers go back to Washington, they're going to use these town hall meetings to solidify the position that they had to begin with. Uh, they all see it the way they want to see it, and the few who are undecided on this issue will be really perplexed and easy to manipulate. Everyone will be trying to get them to go their way. So, right. Daryl? I gotta go personal on you. I've got uh, a daughter getting married in about three weeks, so I just will say blessings to Katie and Colin, and my prediction is great life and a great impact from that couple. <laughs> See, you're not a cynic at all, <laughs> <laughs> Bob. Um, I'm just gonna follow up real quick on Joe's uh, comment on, on these uh, town hall meetings. I don't think we've seen the end of them. In fact, what I'm seeing is when we go on to other contentious pieces of legislation like cap and trade and, and uh, uh, immigration reform, we're gonna see the same kind of out cry from the American people. And Sam. My posture is that exactly the opposite. I think these guys are going to be angry and they know they have a short window to pass this thing. I'm saying it, we are now in the post bipartisan period. It's over. <laughs> I never knew it began. <laughs> I was going to say, how, how exactly long, how long was that? <laughs> that is Columbus on the Record for this week. You can continue this conversation at our website. Our question this week, what kind of health care reform, if any, would you support? That's at our website, wosu.org slash cotr. There you can also see streaming video of each episode, and also check out our blog as well. For our crew here at WOSU at COSI, and for our panel, I'm Mike Thompson. Have a good week. <laughs> <laughs>